0: In a few moments, we're going to look at Ephesians. We're going to open our Bibles, and I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you you want to open up to follow along, um, that's where you can turn. Uh, Before we get there, I want to to build a little bit on um, John's prayer this morning. Talk a little bit um, about what you see here, which is fairly obvious, a bunch of backpacks. Uh, 76 backpacks to be precise. <laughs> Bethany where did, I'm right on that, right. 76 was the number. Where'd Bethany go? There she is. Okay, 76 backpacks. And you all um, yeah, you all made this possible in a, in a lot of different ways through the donations of school supplies. Um, those of you that were part of the, the dog uh, days of summer, uh, in some way or another, ever volunteered. I mean, there's so many thank yous uh, to go around. And, and I want to say that a lot of times people will come up to me and they, oh, you did such a good job, or it's great that you're doing that. I get way more credit than I ever deserve. This wasn't me. This this wasn't. I was a part of it, like, like many of you, but this really came, I guess, out of the special events team and a uh, burden that God placed on Bethany and some others. To, to make this happen. And, and so she ran with this ministry, and we kind of came alongside, and, and, men, and many others. I know there was a bunch of folks that were part of that, and people I saw, pictures that were up here Friday, stuffing bags and things. And, and I want you to think about for a second. I, I was just imagining tomorrow. You know, there are a lot of kids tonight they are going to go to bed, and they're not going to really know about what they have for school. They're not going to have bags ready. A lot of our kids do. You know, a lot of our kids, we take that for granted. But there's going to be 76 kids that aren't sure what they have for school that tomorrow are going to get something that reminds them there are people out there care about them. There are people that care and that have done something. And, And God will use that in ways we're not going to see, probably. Maybe we will. But that doesn't matter that we see it. What we know is that God's working in it. So thank you for that. We're going to do a prayer here in a moment to, to bless these. But I also want to recognize and do a prayer over, and John kind of did this already, but I'm going to, we're going to double up a little bit. Our students that go back tomorrow, are, or some have already been back. I think St. Stephen's and some of our, our private schools have been a week or two in. So our students that are either back or back in school, uh, teachers administrators, cafeteria workers, bus drivers, support staff, and everybody who is involved, homeschool parents. If you're a homeschool parent, uh, all of you that are involved. First, I want to ask our students to stand. Can I get our students around the room to stand up if you're comfortable doing that? Even if you're not, I'll put you on the spot. Now, all right, thank you. College students, too. Now, stay standing, if you would. Teachers, administrators, school supply, our support, all of you that are involved in, in education. Joe in the back, all right. Stand up for just one second. Here's my challenge. I want you to look around, and we have this many or more in each service. Let's not use just the first week as the opportunity to pray for these folks year round. October, November, December, Je- year round. Be in prayer for those who are invested in the education of our children, or these young people that are, are that are learning and growing. So we pray for them. Thank you all. I just want to have you sit down. So let's uh, let's keep them in mind as we turn in these moments. Let's let's go to prayer. Lord, we we pray blessings. That's what we're praying. We're praying for the anointing of Your Holy Spirit on these young people who begin or continue their um, early part of the school year tomorrow. Bless them as they grow and learn. Protect them. Um, guide them by Your Holy Spirit, and and bless those adults who through teaching and other kind of support and involvement in our school systems or homeschooling systems, whatever way, that have invested and are using their talents to make a difference in the lives of young people. Bless them and guide them and strengthen them in the challenges that they all face. And then, Lord, bless these backpacks and the 76 children tomorrow that will receive them. We pray that with them go the power of your Holy Spirit and the strength of our prayers and love. Be with those kids that tomorrow will receive a blessing. Thank you that we have been privileged to be a part of that and challenge us to continue to, to do more for the kingdom of God and the service of Christ. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Now, this morning, our scripture comes from Ephesians uh, chapter 6. It is the end of this letter that that Paul writes, uh, the verses 10 through 20. We're coming to the end of of this um, book, if you will, of the New Testament. And I remind you, we've talked before, that Ephesians was written while Paul was in prison. Uh, He's incarcerated, if you will. And you're going to kind of find a reference to that if you listen carefully at the end of this section that we read this morning. So here... Uh, these words of, of God, as again read from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Friends, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, anoint our ears, our hearts, our spirits to hear your word and to respond in faith and faithfulness. We pray in Christ. Amen. I have in the last, I guess about five years, uh, traveled more, flown more, commercially flown more than I have ever in the previous 38 years of my life. As I started, uh, continued my education and some other opportunities I've had over these last few few years, I've flown probably once or twice a year, not a lot, I know some of you fly frequently, um, some of you like, Sam, literally fly, you know, pilot, but, um, but, but more than I ever had before. So enough to where I, I kind of have, have been able to develop some habits, that, some rituals, if you will. I, I tend to, to create patterns in my life and some areas, and so, so I have some kind of habits when I fly. And I'm kind of sad this morning. As I look to the, my next flight, which will be in October, long flight overseas, um, my habits are being disrupted because there are two things I always did on board a flight. When I'd sit down and, and take my seat and the flight would go, I always have things to read and some of my own stuff to do. But there are two things that, I, that for whatever reason, I just always do. It, it's kind of uh, compulsive. One is I grab the in-flight magazine, whatever airline I'm on, and I go find the crossword puzzle and I work the crossword puzzles as best I can. Now, I don't normally do crossword puzzles. That's not something I do at any other time. About the only time I'll do crossword puzzles is on a plane. But for whatever reason, it's become my challenge. I want to see how many words I can get before I have to start flipping to the back and cheating. And so, so I do crossword puzzles. The other thing I do is I look at every single page of the Sky Mall. <laughs> how many of you know the Sky Mall? All right, if you do not if you are not familiar with the Sky Mall, the Sky Mall is the most absurd catalog you will ever see. It is wonderful because it has the most useless but interesting kind of gadgets that you can look at, stuff, and it's, the, the scope is is unbelievable. You can buy, I remember years ago, I first time I saw, it was a, a personal sauna. They called it a personal egg that you could, I don't even know what it did, but you got in it and it closed on over the top of you. Maybe it was supposed to help you rest or whatever. It was $16,000. <laughs> Who spends $16,000 on a SkyMall item? Uh, but there's all kinds of things. There's, it's the kind of magazine that that shows you things you didn't know you needed until you saw the magazine. And I, so there's things like, like a, a meat, meat um, tenderizer. Yeah, but it looks like brass knuckles, you know, and you could use it to tenderize the meat. There are, there are things like um, a, an eggplant vase. Uh, why? I don't know, but that's, that's what it was. Uh, just just uh, some of my favorites, though. Uh, There was one that that was so you could sleep upright. I thought this would be great. I shouldn't tell you this. Some of you are going to look for it for church. Um, And it was this brace on your neck so you could rest your chin and sleep while you were standing up. I thought that's good. Uh, My favorites, or two were my favorites, one was the hiccup stick. Have you ever heard of a hiccup stick? I'd never heard of a hiccup stick. Sam, you were nodding your head. You've heard of a hiccup stick. So the hiccup stick is you buy, obviously. You put it, you, when you've got the hiccups, you bite on it. And while you're biting on the stick, you drink water. Yeah, think about it for a moment. I, I meant to try it. I should have brought a stick. and try, But you bite the stick and you drink the water. They have a video. I went to YouTube and I found this video. Because I wanted to see, how, what does this look like? And it was funny, on the video, No, I'm not lying to you, every time somebody would pick up the glass to kind of demonstrate it, as they'd start to drink, the video would cut away. And I thought, you know what that stick does? You just dribble all down yourself, but you're so embarrassed, you forget about your hiccups. That's what I think it is. The hiccup stick. The other one was the um, it was a drink holder for your rolling luggage, for the handle of your luggage, so you could put your drink on your luggage. Because Lord knows, rolling your luggage and holding a drink—that's too much. So you have to have a drink holder for your luggage. That's a, another one of the silly gadgets. The whole point is the magazine's full of this stuff. You know this. Those of you who've seen it know it is full of this stuff. And I love reading the Sky Mall. And I'm sad because earlier this year, Sky Mall went bankrupt. <laughs> and there are no more Sky Malls being produced. And they may still be on the planes. We had this discussion in the first service. Some people said they still have old ones, but there's no more. So as I'm getting ready to fly in October, I won't have my Mall, And the problem is because so many people are like me. They look at the gadgets, but they don't buy any of the gadgets. And so that is what happened. That's not the kind of gadgets. I don't know how much they ever sold, but they don't sell now. We are oriented differently. Our gadgets and the kind of things that we really want to spend our money on, at least some of us, have, have kind of shifted. Most of these kind of gimmicky things don't sell. But there's one market that is selling, where gadgetry is successful, that is thriving in many, many markets, and that is, well, you're on the right track. No, that's okay. You can blurt out. We're, we're all friends here. You're on the right track, but it's wearable tech. It's Yes, wearable tech. How many of you know what wearable tech is? All right, wearable tech is, in fact, this is wearable tech. This is not, um, not an Apple Watch. That's the, probably the, the biggest one that we've heard about. This is um, a Fitbit, but it tells me my heart rate. It tells me my sleep patterns. It tracks my steps, and it connects to the computer. I can get online. If I have the Bluetooth on, it'll let me know when I've gotten a message. If the phone rings or somebody sends me a message, I can read it on the watch. I can't respond on this one, but it's connected. That's, that's what it does. It basically is the ability to connect. That's what wearable tech does. And it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Google Glass was one. And that one really didn't take off, but they were the glasses. And they, they had, the, the, you could see kind of the computer readout inside the glass. I never got to try one. I always wanted to see how, what that felt. But that's wearable tech. Apple Watch is wearable tech. They have one now that's a bracelet. And if you hit it, it projects the time onto your hand. Because looking at your watch is a pain. But if you can literally, there's another one that does it on the palm of your hand. It's, it's, it's wearable tech. There was, um, there was, oh, a couple years ago. These are things I find out, useless things that I want to enlighten you with. Um, but there was, that was developed a few years ago. And it was a dress, a woman's dress. Not, well, maybe that's not obvious. But it's a woman's dress uh, that lit up when you received a phone call. And I thought, who needs that? And the reason they said that how they market it was because if you're out at a loud restaurant or a bar, you can't always hear your phone or feel it vibrate, so your dress lights up. <laughs> Everybody in the bar knows you got a phone call. <laughs> Wearable tech. The other one I saw was they were called keyboard pants. They were jeans, and on the thigh was half the keyboard here, half the keyboard here, kind of like, you know, how the QWERTY keyboards can be split and they had Bluetooth in it, so you could connect it to your phone or your computer and you could type on your pants. <laughs> I don't know who needs it. You could what? Dress up all the kids in, my class. Dress up all the kids in your class. Tony teaches typing, so she's thinking how she can make that work. You can see that all day long. <laughs> they're, they're crazy, they're outlandish, they're funny. But that's the kind of stuff... That is, I don't know how much selling, but is more successful now. Here's the interesting thing. This is what it brings around. It's because of that stuff that SkyMall has gone out of business. You think, how's that? Well, the the CEO of SkyMall said that the reason that they think they've had such a downturn is because now people are always able to connect. Even on planes, you can connect to the Internet. So people aren't reading the SkyMall. They're connecting to the Internet, and they're finding out that everything in the Sky Mall is priced twice as much as anything else you can buy at other places. Same way we do. How many of you go shopping with scanners in your phones now so you can price check everything? I mean, it's just that's the world we live in. We live in this connected world. And so that ability to connect has put other things out of business. Now, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because that's the same kind of imagery that Paul's going for. I think the metaphor is, is, has that same purpose when he talks about the armor of God. This kind of stuff that I'm talking about is not essential stuff. It may be fun, it may make life interesting, but we don't need any of it. We've in some ways become more dependent upon it than we should, but we don't need it. Paul's talking about a wearable tech, if I can steal that metaphor, that has far greater significance in the lives of those who are called in Christ, And so rather than gadgets that certainly were not even thought of 2,000 years ago, he uses a wearable tack that his listeners can identify with, and it is armor. Specifically, the word he uses is penoplia. It's a Greek word, and it, it references the armor that a legionnaire, uh, an infantry member of the, of the Roman army would wear. And why he's using that is because it is something that his listeners can identify with. They know that. The Romans ruled the world as they knew it. And so they saw Roman soldiers everywhere. So they could immediately identify with these breastplates and helmets and the footwear and the swords and the shields. They, They knew what that looked like. And he wants to connect it to something far deeper. Now, here's the wonderful truth about this, if you can imagine this, Paul writes this letter while he's in jail. He's on house arrest. And what that would have looked like was that Paul would spend his days, all of his days, literally chained, and he references an ambassador in chains, literally chained to a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers would take eight-hour shifts being chained to the prisoner that they were in charge of. So can you imagine Paul writing this as he is quite literally looking at a Roman soldier who's chained to him? Probably not in full battle gear, but you, know, you get the idea. Can you imagine being the one who got the responsibility of spending eight hours chained to Paul? That must have been crazy, because Paul talked about Jesus all the time. Those soldiers would either, either come to faith or they'd be ready to commit Harry Carey by the end of eight hours, because that's just they're just gonna not wanna, you know, deal with it. I imagine there was not a lot of uh, fighting to be the one chained to Paul. But he takes that imagery and that idea that I'm I'm building on of this wearable tech to, to communicate a significant spiritual truth for us, and that is we need to be connected. And the first way that we need to be connected. Is the obvious way, I think. And that is the importance of being connected to God. He is using these, these images. He talks and he, he spiritualizes these parts of armor. And he pulls some of this from Isaiah 57 because in Isaiah 57, he talks about God who wears the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. But he is wanting us to understand very significantly that our battle, our struggle, our contending with in life and our spiritual struggle is not just against the things that we see, but there are greater forces at work. There are spiritual realities. There is, in the terms of spiritual warfare that is taking place among the realms that are not immediately visible to us. And he wants us to understand the significance of a far deeper reality than what our eyes reveal. That's why he says there in verse um, 12, he says, our, our struggle is against the powers of darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Spiritual warfare is real. The spiritual world exists. I don't understand it fully. I'm not going to stand up here and try to make sense of it all. There is part of the mystery of God. But the scriptures over and over say, Don't be fooled by just what you see. There are greater forces at work fact, there's this wonderful little story tucked into to the book, the Old Testament book of Second Kings. You can find it in chapter 6. Elisha the prophet is involved and the king of Israel is at war against the king of Aram. And the king of Aram is getting thwarted at every turn because it seems like the king of Israel is one step ahead of him. And he is because God is revealing things to Elisha the prophet that he's passing on to the king to kind of give him the heads up to, to kind of guide his decision making. And so the king of Aram knows this. He finds out about this. And he decides he wants to eliminate Elisha. And so he sends part of his troops. And they surround the city of Dothan where Elisha was. And he's there with his servant. And his servant gets up in the morning. And he looks out beyond the city gates. And it's surrounded by the soldiers of the king of Aram. And he freaks out. He says, we are in big trouble. And he panics because he says, we don't have anything to match that force. We're dead. And Elisha kind of says to him, relax, relax, because there's a truth beyond what your eyes can see. And in verse 17 of chapter 6, he prays that the Lord will open the eyes of his servant. And it says the Lord does. And when the servant looks out again, he sees surrounding Elisha chariots and horses and soldiers, not of the earthbound type, but spiritual angels and forces of God that were there to protect and preserve the prophet. He's basically praying for a servant to understand and to see that there's a spiritual struggle that's going on. And that's what Paul wants us to see. It's the same prayer he has that we would recognize that our struggle is far deeper and in realms beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And so, if we are... Meant to contend, if we understand that there are forces that work against us. And and he references the evil one, and we we use words Satan and, and spiritual forces of darkness. There's a lot of ways that we describe, but those forces contend against those who are called of God, those who seek to live their lives in obedience to God. They work against us because the evil one wants to do one of two things. He either wants to disrupt and destroy your faith, and if he cannot do that, then he wants to destroy your witness either destroy your faith or destroy your witness, to undermine your credibility. And we see how that plays out over and over in the news every single week. And we have seen it again this week by attacking us in those places where we are spiritually weak and vulnerable. And so if we're meant to contend in a place that is beyond our physical reality, then we must be strengthened by a, by a, by a force, if you will. I hate to use that word. It sounds too impersonal. By a God who has the power over those realms. And so when Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness, he talks about the belt of truth, the, 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 the footwear of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit or the Word, he's talking about our need to be focused on the One, to be open to the gifts of the One who gives us the ability to be victorious against those forces that would come to protect ourselves, to guard our head, to guard our heart, to guide our feet. That's really what he's wanted. He wants us to understand we need to be connected to God and focused on God's will and God's work in our lives because that's where we start to slip. I'm convinced that the, the foundation of sin, however that manifests in our lives, the root of it is selfishness. The root of it is happens when as Christians we take our eyes and our hearts off the ways of God and we begin to act and move in the ways that please us. I deserve it. It's okay. It's not a big deal. The Lord understands. We begin to move in ways that are guided by our desires rather than being open and guided by the Spirit of God at work. I want you to think about Biblical figures like Samson and his tremendous strength. Last week we talked about Solomon and his wisdom, or David and his devotion. Yet each of these, and many, many others, would fall prey to significant sins that would wreak havoc in their lives. In the three cases of those men, it was sexual sin. And I believe at the root of that was that selfishness. They started to take their eyes off of God. All of a sudden, they weren't focused on God. The problem is, we, struggle, we all struggle with this. We pray, and we sing, and we say, Jesus, it's all about you. And then we live our lives like it's all about us. And so Paul says, be focused. Be girded, strengthened, tailored, clothed, whatever image you want to use in the things that are of God that will keep you focused on the things of God. Be connected to the Lord, because He gives us the strength to protect and to engage the world for the gospel, to be rooted in the Word. And so we need to be connected in that way. But there's a second significance to this imagery, the panoplia that Paul uses, that I don't think is as immediately um, apparent to us. And that is really built around that image of the shield that large shield that you've probably seen images of, the Roman shield that protected, that shield was not built for singular defense. What I mean was a Roman armor had vulnerable spots. It wasn't head to toe. The, the, the calves, the legs, uh, the hips sometimes, even parts of the back and neck, they were exposed But a Roman was equipped to fight not a singular battle, but to fight in the legion, in the legionnaires. And so those shields would have hooks on them. And the hooks were designed so one shield could hook into another shield, could hook into another shield, and they could hook that way. You've probably seen this. It's called a turtle formation because the front line would shield up this way and create a wall. The back line would shield over. To protect against the arrows of the archers. The shields were often soaked in water so that they would snuff out the arrows that were burning, that were, that were lit. And you see that reference if you go back and read Ephesians 6. But the idea was Roman soldiers were meant to fight as a unit. To engage as a unit. To protect each other's back, if you will. I believe that what Paul wants us to understand, because he talked about this in Ephesians 4 as well, that we're called to engage, to stand firm. Three times he uses that image, stand strong. Verse 11, verse 13, and verse 14, stand strong. And the mistake that we make sometimes is we think we stand alone. Paul said, you don't. You shouldn't. That's not who we are. We stand in the strength of God, and we stand in the strength of one another when we are being faithful. The problem is we're not always so faithful. The problem is most of us know what it's like to think we need a shield on our back because we feel like we're getting dinged from behind by our own brothers and sisters. Sometimes we're not engaging this way into the battle because we feel we've got to put our shield behind us to protect ourselves from the arrows of others in Christ. And that's the struggle of the church since the day it was born. And I've been guilty. I have felt those arrows, and I've probably been guilty of firing a couple. But we're meant to stand together. I've used the image before of the sequoia trees and you know, those big, just mountainous trees out in California, thousands of years old. They stand in all kinds of storms and fires and, and they're, they're, they're just majestic. But their roots are not particularly deep. And well, why do they stand so well? It's because their roots, while they're not particularly deep, they're very wide. And they intertwine with other trees. And every tree intertwines with And they share resources. And they, they strengthen each other. I thought that's a wonderful image for the church. We're meant to stand together. To, to hold each other up. To hold each other accountable. To be a unified body in the Holy Spirit. To remember that it's not about me. It's about us. And that's what Paul wants the church to hear. Stand together. Strength of the Lord, connection of the Lord, but connection you have with one another. Because that allows you to stand in the face of those forces that will contend against you, that will seek to undermine your faith, to undermine your obedience, to undermine your connection to God. So the question is how's your connection? How are you connected in far more significant ways than to the internet or some GPS or even your own heart rate? How are you connected to the strength of God and to the body of Christ? Because here's the thing. We do not fight for victory. Let me say that. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. What I mean by that is Jesus has already won Jesus has already won. What he desires to us for us is that we can be part of that victory. Not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness. To be the light that Christ has called us to be. We live into that when we are connected to God and we're connected to each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you humbly praying for strength in the connections as we seek to be open to your Holy Spirit and your blessings upon us, your protection, your guidance. And as we share that with each other, help us to live faithfully into your call upon our lives. We pray in Jesus.